<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Cyber Law and Business Report starts now, only on Cranberry Radio. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center. Um, here in the heart of Silicon Beach, downtown Santa Monica. Um, please be seated. Welcome to another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. We have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about an important topic, in, especially in the tech community, community. That involves trade secrets and how to protect them, particularly in this new era of social media. Um, some often employers have stumbled into social media with the kind of view of what can go wrong. And then it often does. And that's when lawyers like us get a phone call. But um, we're lucky to have uh, a lawyer with us as well today. And it's Paul Means. And um, Paul, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. And um, Paul is the co-head of the entertainment and media at ADLI Law Group. And I, I like that you cho- you use that acronym. Um, do, you, do you say ADLI or do you say Adley? We say Adley because that's the uh, president of the firm, um, Dr. Adley, but the acronym came afterwards. It's interesting. Yeah, so the acronym, it's uh, Advocates, Dealmakers, Litigators, and Innovators. And I believe Paul would be a couple of those, would you not? Uh, I'd like to think so, but um, I leave that to others to determine. So tell us about your practice. What 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 is what are you working on these days? Um, well, I just got back from the World Virtual Reality Forum in Europe, where I spoke about um, things creators should be aware of when they create virtual reality, augmented reality, uh, and soon in proliferation, mixed reality. Um, I'm working on a license deal. Uh, in Japan for one of my Japanese clients, for example, uh, where one of their artists is going to jumpstart uh, a YouTube initiative in Japan because um, it's not as robust as it is here. Um, I'm working on, uh, in a more sort of analog situation, um, working on helping some folks with a documentary, uh, dealing with the subject matter, 
And something else that's sitting on my desk is a game license, uh, ironically, between a U.S. company and a Japanese company as well. I do have and I have had for a long time a lot of clients in Japan. And so how, how did that come about? Um, well, way back in the day, I was a music lawyer. At least that's how I started with intellectual property and entertainment. And uh, the Japanese then, in the mid to late 90s and early 2000s, were voracious consumers of international repertoire. So um, we made some deals in Japan for some of our uh, recording artists at that time. And that's sort of how we got into the market there. And then we started, we wound up representing some of the companies we were dealing with. And then sort of from there, um, you know, helped on the U.S. side with some initiatives. Uh, some of these clients did. The clients were a concert promoter, a uh, couple publishing companies, uh, then a video distributor for some of the major record labels here. That led to um, trademark work when one of our sort of superstar artists broke up and the two alpha dogs decided they each wanted to tour under the name. And uh, that's how I became a trademark lawyer. Of course, copyright went with all that. And I got involved very early in digital media with one of the first, if not the first, depending on who you talk to, uh, music digital delivery services and lockers, which we now call the cloud. Right. So that's... And I was a litigator. And I was a litigator for 15 years or so, which was good. Taught me what can go wrong in making deals and dealing with content and ways to avoid it. Indeed, it is very valuable. I once I started my career as a litigator, and I was talking to some corporate lawyer, and he more or less had the attitude that, well, you've just been litigating. You don't really have much experience. And I said, well, excuse me. Um, I spent years um, handling cases, cleaning up mistakes people like you make. <laughs> and <laughs> put him back in his place. But any event, so the topic today is trade secrets. And why don't we just start with the basic? What is a trade secret? Well, um, the Uniform Trade Secrets Act uh, defines it as information including a formula, pattern, compilation, program, device, method, technique, or process and to qualify, it's got to derive economic value for a business from not being generally known to the public or to the business's competitors. Um, every single business has trade secrets. They just may not be aware of it. Uh, doesn't, it's not necessarily high-tech or IP-driven. Uh, it's really anything that's proprietary to a business. And some of the most um, important ones are things like customer and client lists. Um, and those are at great risk if they're not um, protected robustly. And, and, and so there's a difference. So in the whole realm of IP and what what is vital to protect in your proprietary, you, your, your most proprietary business items, you know, there's, there's patents and there's copyrights and trade secrets. You know, they overlap a little, but, you know, trade secrets don't necessarily have to be one or the other. Um, if one has intellectual property like those three things, yeah. those should be trade secrets, and that should be enumerated in the business's list of trade secrets. But trade secrets, as I said, can be very generic things, uh, methods and means by which a business does its business, um, financials, concepts, ideas, future plans, um, techniques, code, um, any information um, pertaining to current or future markets, 
All of these things aren't or shouldn't be known by any competitors because it gives you a competitive advantage and hopefully makes and keeps you competitive in the field or one sort of step ahead of everybody else. Right. Now, the, the one thing that's important about trade secrets is that you keep them secret. Correct. And so my, my understanding of the law and then that is kind of similar to the law and attorney client privilege. And I've, I've explained it like this, almost like in a, in a mafia sort of way. You know, if you keep it in the family, it stays in the family. Kind of like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. If you treat something like a secret, courts will treat it like a secret. But if you don't treat it like a secret, don't expect the courts to do the same. Absolutely. The courts aren't going to enforce a trade secret unless it is, in fact, kept as a secret. And so how do companies protect their trade secrets? What's the most common way they go about that? There's two common ways, really. Um, employee policies and procedures and um, non-disclosure agreements, as well as restrictive language and employment and independent contractor agreements. But since trade secrets' involvement in social media is relatively new, um, some of those agreements may be outdated and may not have the kind of language in them that covers trade secret handling over social media. So let, let's jump into really what are some of the issues that get that come about when you engage in social media in terms of protecting your trade secrets. And and for those listening at home, the um, the show notes, as usual, are on our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter at CyberLawRadio. So, Paul, why don't you start us with what are some of the issues and, and as a company gets active in social media that they should be concerned about as it pertains to their trade secrets? One issue is educating your employees, especially millennials and the younger ones, on what are trade secrets, how they can use them, how they can't use them, what's appropriate behavior with them. Um, here's a couple examples. Um, a seemingly innocent tweet by your employee or independent contractor, I'll just call them users, uh, could inadvertently disclose a business secret or a new proprietary business plan or the fact, you know, the business is moving to bigger quarters, which might be indicative of how well they're doing or the reverse. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, an innocent geolocation check-in could reveal something the business doesn't want yet revealed, like a physical expansion without moving, uh, or if they're in merger negotiations. Um, so those are the kinds of things that need to be um, taken care of, and it's a real hard truth that once trade secrets are out there and not properly protected, their value can be severely compromised, if not lost forever. Right, so, and even... The- just to, just to interrupt briefly, but um, if you're a public company, you somehow some of those examples actually could be you know, um, insider information, and Absolutely. you may have to disclose it to the street because of you know, your inadvertent tweet or check-in, as you mentioned. So, the way to the ways to protect this, the most important, I think is to have a written social media policy as part of the um, employment manual, which hopefully everybody has, which should also be made available to independent contractors. It should be clear and comprehensive and written, most importantly, in plain English. No jargon, no legalese, 
Um, it's got to be understood by non-lawyers, the people to whom it's directed, and they should physically sign it. Um, you had mentioned mafia before. I think it was Don Henley who said, you cross a lawyer with the godfather baby and he'll make you a deal you can't understand. <laughs> so that kind of applies here. No respect, uh, no respect. Um, yeah, no respect, and what the heck, what is that? Why, where does this mean? I'm um, tempted to go into Fredo mode and say I'm smart. But any, <laughs> any event, um, but I also think, and you know, I was in-house uh, for a number of years, and I remember when Sarbanes-Oxley came out, I mean, a, an important, which I thought was a useful tool, because it required us to go out and educate our, our workforce on, you know, our policies and, you know, particularly policies in terms of compliance, but we, we did more than that. And so, I, you know, I don't think you should just hand people a document. I think you should explain it, make it a living document, tell them why you do this, make them understand the concepts. I think that's a huge part of it. I, I mean, I advocate both. In addition to having a physical policy so that reasonable minds won't differ and memories won't fade as time goes on, it's got to be an active document. Whenever a new trade secret is added or something comes about, you know, tweets or emails should go out to all the users to let them know that. Um, I think periodic reinforcement, a class perhaps, or an online um, webinar that they're required to attend to remind them, you can do this, you can't do that, this is why these are trade secrets. This is why it can be dangerous over social media. I think it also invests them more in the company. It, it gives them a stake in protecting where they work or are engaged and makes them feel more a part of it. Right. You're, you are part of the mission. And we, in order for us to succeed, we need to have these items protected, and that, that includes you. Absolutely. They're, you know, they're, they're a cog in the machine. And, and so for those who are sitting at home, raise your hand if, if you've ever signed one of these proprietary agreements without even reading it. Wow, that's pretty much everybody. Yeah, I mean, as you can see. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so I think that's a challenge. That's why I think it's important you do a presentation with it. Um, I agree with you. Um, and repeated refresher courses, um, just like those ridiculous, or not so ridiculous, but those annual safety videos some of us have to watch um, and sign right. off on, uh, you know, to make sure we don't scream and bounce off the walls, God forbid, if there's some sort of emergency while we're at work. So let's talk about some of the scenarios like that come up and, you know, mistakes that are made and what, what companies should do to make sure that we're not talking about them next time. It's education. Um, trade secrets are a very broad and, to some people, ephemeral thing. And something is innocent. Well, let me back up a step. I think users have to be educated that they can inadvertently jeopardize trade secrets in non-intuitive ways. Uh, that includes tweets, likes, friending, and geolocation check-ins mm -hmm. um, that I had sort of mentioned earlier. And there's some social media sites that automatically add the user's location at the end of a post. So right. that needs to be determined and uh, dealt with. Um, 
God, another huge issue is who owns social media involving trade secrets. Um, right. The employer should be asserting ownership interest over it, make it clear they own it, and again, reduce to some form of policy that they do own it. Yeah, I mean, most employees and contractors don't read the policy, but it's like any other contract. That legislates a relationship. That legislates a business deal. And I think it's important, even if it euphemistically sits in a drawer, that it exists. Um, well, we so have a policy here at Cranberry Radio that I break when my producer tells me to, which would be right now. So we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more on trade secrets and social media. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on cranberry.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. How much are your best ideas worth? PriorThings.com gives you an added layer of protection for all of your intellectual property, ideas, and creative things. New business idea, pitch deck, PowerPoint presentation, song lyrics, source code, killer blog posts. We help you protect it all. How do we do it? We use the same technology platform that secures transactions for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Learn more at PriorThings.com. Check out exclusive listener pricing for Cranberry Radio listeners by going to bit.ly slash Founders Circle. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Cranberry Radio, online anytime at cranberry.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. And we're back and we're talking to Paul Means about um, protecting your trade secrets in the social media age. And we're just kind of going into some scenarios where you know, this issue comes up and we, we had to take a short break. Um, Paul, um, so why don't you give us some, some other areas of consideration? I guess I wanted to ask, do you recommend that m- employees have s- segregate their work social media and their personal social media. Absolutely. And Bennett, by the way, my last name is pronounced Menace. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Actually, it's not a bad name for a lawyer, is it? <laughs> it's a very good one. Um, it's certainly how you want to be remembered. Uh, it doesn't hurt. So, um, yes, they should be kept separate, which kind of brings up what a lot of employers and uh, engagers, people with independent contractors are doing. Um, Not only do they hire or engage people, mostly young people, millennials, um, but they do so often to manage that business's social accounts. And they also often allow them to do so by bringing their own devices, which is called a B, you know, BYOD. BYOD, yeah. 
Um, my advice is don't do it. Keep them separate. Best practice, don't allow it because a business can control use of its own devices. They own them, but they can't control very much. Uh, a BYOD device, um, because they don't own it, and also because of privacy concerns of the person who owns the device. Right. And, you know, a user's expectation of privacy is huge. So if they do allow BYOD, they being a company, um, in their policy, they need to sort of navigate what's a delicate balance between the right to privacy and the protection of their personal data and the business's ability to protect its personal data, um, trade secrets, and other materials. And the ability to wipe it at the end. Um, yes. Uh, that's part of them claiming ownership in any social media having to do with trade secrets. And, and um, so, I mean, I understand having someone control company accounts and making sure that it is a company is a company voice that is using the company accounts, you know, so the tweet, whatever the, the blog, LinkedIn post, it, it comes from a company voice. What happens when your salespeople are on LinkedIn and they're getting all these great sales contacts on LinkedIn which they've acquired through your, your, you know, through working with you, and they leave, and they now have all those contacts. Um, that, that's they have them, but it's no different than when an employee leaves, if this is legislated correctly, and the employee has, you know, physical access to trade secrets, customer lists, you know, in a more analog setting, that they have to give those up, and there's, a, you know, restrictions that they can't use them once they leave because it's not their property. So that's a great way to do it. Um, there should also be protocols for any business-related use by the users during and after separation, you know, when they no longer are engaged or employed. Um, there's mobile device management software uh, this should be made part of the consciousness of the user and the policy of the employer mm. or engager. Um, it's installation of it on BYOD should be prerequisite for those devices having any access to business information. Um, for those of you who don't know what MDM software is, it helps employers manage uh, mobile devices across the business's various networks, uh, allowing them, among other things, uh, control of configuration settings. And it also allows a remote wipe. Now, there is one important consideration. And we spent a better part of the last few days talking about WannaCry ransomware. And how, if you have people using multiple platforms, multiple devices, you know, their own, the company, how can you ensure that all your companies are up to date and that you're not vulnerable? Yeah, that's really an IT question. Um, to me, it's a lot like leapfrog. You know, new and better privacy um, protections keep being invented and initiated. So that takes care of problems, you know, we know about. It's a reactive thing, and then the hackers take that and figure out a way to circumvent it, and it just seems to keep going. So I don't really think there's any perfect or 
ways of doing it, um, you, all you can really do is have the most robust data security and data security procedures that are out there at any given moment in time. And, um, you know, if one's afraid of a hack by a current or former employer, sorry, employee or, or a contractor, um, again, try to restrict their post-separation access to that information by using something like an MDM or um, by having them use a business-owned device specifically for business-related uses and, you know, keep their, uh, any personal devices of theirs away. Right. Now, what are some of the horror stories you don't want our listeners to have to say they experienced that after listening to you today? Um, this is what happens when you don't have any kind of policy in force. Um, there was a Pennsylvania case that ruled a business owner couldn't assume its former CEO's LinkedIn account after she was terminated because it had no policy that said so when that occurred that informed users like her, that their LinkedIn accounts were the employer's property. So she could do whatever the heck she wanted with it and all the information on it. So and, that was a disaster. Yeah, for especially for, you know, I can see with a lower level employee, but with a CEO, you know, that that's a huge deal. Um, it's a huge deal. But if, if there isn't restrictions in place, um, you know, then trade secrets for that particular company aren't enumerated. And, um, you know, she probably claimed, I'm speculating, but she, she probably could claim that she had no knowledge that some of the stuff she had was considered trade secrets by her former employer. Right. I mean, and it's also, in that regard, it's also really important not to use some generic definition of trade secrets even when, you know, when you're advocating it personally or, or teaching your staff, as well as in some sort of written policy. And these things abound. And certain things are generic, like customer lists, like some of the things I talked about before. But if your business has something specific they do, like uh, create algorithms, that should be part of, or code, that should be part of what's specifically in the description of your particular trade secrets. Um, another horror story could be, um, and another group of horror stories is, um, solicitations on social media. Um, and what that is, is things like friending a customer or former colleague on LinkedIn. Is that a solicitation posting status updates? Could that be a, you know, a violation of, non-competition clauses, for example, right. in contracts. Um, if, if, if that isn't legislated and if they don't learn that, um, uh, there's, no, there's not a lot of law on it, and so that could be a huge issue. Um, businesses should try to exert control over that sort of social media usage. Because, um, for example, friending a business or individual grants that business or individual access to very right. personal information, information about his or her interests and preferences, and maybe most importantly for a business, contact information and a built-in means of contact. That can only go south. Right. Um, and, um, I, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was done. So, um, 
it, it all seems harmless. You know, I just friended someone I used to work with. And like you said, that, that could involve a violation of a, a non-compete or you know, any number of things. Um, you know, it can also start a dialogue. As I mentioned before, you know, hey, I just got promoted and we're moving to bigger quarters. I mean, why are they moving to bigger quarters and whose business is that? Could be indicative of, of, a, of a fact that the business doesn't want out. Right. Like they're, merge, like they're merging. And maybe the talk in the press uh, isn't fake news and, you know, that this sort of indicates that that's happening. And if it's a public company, you know, that could give unfair advantages and let a cat out of the bag when the bag shouldn't be open. Right. Now, um, what, what are some other horror stories you hear in, in this space? I got to think of some good horror stories. Um, well, one was an employee left a company and the policy was very generic. Apparently, you know, it had just been, I mean, the policy describing trade secrets, it had just been, you know, pulled out of some document that existed and it wasn't specifically tailored. And because it wasn't, my understanding is the court ruled that that employee had an absolute right to use those trade secrets and compete with his former employer because it fell outside of the non-compete clause. And uh, it did a lot of damage to that company, apparently, um, you know, from what I, I saw, from what I read. I'm trying to think of another particular horror story. Um, on social so, media, I have, I have a bunch of them, <laughs> generally speaking, but I'm trying to think of a specific one. Um, oh, uh, there was one where the reverse happened where the policy way overreached was so strong that it violated state and federal privacy laws and was also unenforceable when um, a former employee uh, got into the knickers, so to speak, of their employer. And we, we've seen that a little bit. We've seen how employers cracking down on social media can be uh, a violation of the labor laws. You know, the federal labor laws. And we've also, we've seen it in, in other circumstances as well. And how, just like we mentioned earlier, a tweet can violate securities laws or any number of different areas can, can be problematic just by one social media event. Absolutely. And, um, you know, to, to, to guard against that, there's some employers that have required their employees and contractors to disclose their login information for their their social accounts when they use their own devices. And um, a lot of states have laws, including California, prohibiting employers from doing that, um, as well as from asking an employee or an applicant for employment to access personal social media in the presence of the employer or divulge personal social media. Um, so, so that lack of control is another reason horrible things can happen and why, you know, best case scenario, even with MDM, even if you require them to put social media up on a employer 
monitor or controlled cloud so they can see what's going on, you know, you got to bet, you got to know what the laws are or, or have your counsel, mm-hmm. experienced counsel educate you. And you got to be careful not to overreach. And, you know, overreaching has a whole other issue. You don't want to be big brother. You right, want it that, to be so that, that demoralizes. Yeah. And, and it, it, it makes, yes, it demoralizes and can incentivize them to do something horrible with trade secret information of yours. Right. If you don't, if you don't treat them with trust, they'll, they'll prove that you're right. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that kind of goes to the issue of making them stakeholders in the business, you know, explaining to them why trade secrets are important, what trade secrets are, why they can't do certain things over social, why they can't bring their own device. And, you know, educating non-millennials, the uh, managers and above, how dangerous it is when, you know, social media is utilized to promote a business, interact with customers, um, and, pardon me, how even inadvertently um, best intentions of the people running your social media um, initiatives can, you know, screw you. Right. And then, you know, there's also the, the errant um, comment, you know, the comment made after hours about, oh, God, you know, my, my boss really screwed this up with one client or, you know, saying something bad about the client. And next thing you know, um, someone's falling on his sword. Yeah, um, that unfortunately, as you know, falls under that pesky thing called uh, the First Amendment, probably to some degree. Right. Um, you know, you can't stop somebody from bad-mouthing uh, their boss on their own social media account, but you can treat them in a way that, again, you know, makes them a stakeholder and would um, prevent them from doing it. But, you know, that's not water cooler talk, but, you know, that's after after work drinks talk right um well actually but again the labor department does say water cooler because that's i guess that's the met the metaphor they rely on but you know it, it's one thing to just talk to somebody about it it's something else to post stuff like that in a chat room right and that's you know that's that's a thorny situation you know how how can you prevent that how far can you try to prevent it Again, you know, there might be privacy and First Amendment issues involved. So it's a very unknown thing. Um, and uh, I'm not a litigator. You are. So I don't know if that's an issue that comes up in litigation. It, it, I haven't read anything about it, so I don't know. But it's an issue. Mm, that was a good, they would have to go by. Um, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. But it, in terms of how companies are are educating their workforce on this and how they're making um, making sure that they don't become talked about at a future episode. Uh, are, are there insurance policies involved in this as well? There, there are types of insurance for well, cyber insurance. I don't know if there is specifically for this, and I don't mean to be repetitive, but I, I think it's, even if there is, you know, you can't legislate common sense. People, common sense, and you can't legislate people having one-on-one or you know one-on-two right. or three yeah. conversations, um, even on social media. But then again, you know, the protection is defamation. You know, if you find out if it's defamation or not, 
Right. And you can you can take that. Um, well, there's employee path. theft coverage, and I know that would cover some in some cases that could cover trade secrets, or at least you know the misappropriation of something. Yeah, but uh, some those policies in the courts have said it's not enough just to have a clear policy and say what is a trade secret, what isn't, can you use this? But the trade secrets have to be protected, and a couple of the cases have talked about reasonable steps to protect them, and so they qualify as trade secrets. Um, so that means things like there's got to be physical security, right. locking file rooms, limiting and tracking keys, but passwords and firewalls, intrusion detection hardware, encryption, database partitioning, uh, and immediately revoking access to trade secrets when the need to know in whole or in part ends. Right. Uh, there's some other technical things that can be done, but without those steps, reasonable steps, and without being able to prove them, the most robust policy probably isn't worth the virtual or physical paper it's written on. And, and so you, you look at what's going on in, in Washington – I mean, not it, it's it's analogous, but it's different. And of course, you know, since President Trump isn't an employee, he's actually you know he's the he's the boss. And and in fact, when he discloses something, by definition, it's it's not illegal to disclose classified information because he has that prerogative. But it, in some ways, you know, for for people watching at home, you know, that's kind of an illustration. Assume that assume he was an employee. Assume it was the Secretary of Defense or it was someone else. You know, doing these things, reveal revealing things in meetings, and and tweeting things uncarefully. Um, you know, from a business perspective, that would be alarming if you, if that was one of your employees. Absolutely, but um, it's what they're tweeting. If what they're tweeting involves trade secrets, and you've taken the steps to prevent it, then it would be actionable, including perhaps with termination. But if they're tweeting opinions and trade secrets aren't involved. I don't know much what can be uh true. You know, I don't know what much sorry, much what can be done. So just in the in the, the sh- in the um show notes just to kind of just playing on the whole controversy over whether or not something was disclosed in the meeting between the, the president and um Russian foreign minister Sergey Lavrov, uh, I we we created a fake tweet and it reads when I met with Sergey Lavrov I told them that ISIS had had tried to infiltrate Spirit Airlines, but gave up because even they hated it. And um, <laughs> so, just to give you a sense of yeah, that that's that would be disclosing and using revealing in a tweet that you revealed um, trade secrets. Maybe online. I mean I think it's pretty common knowledge that, that Spirit is bad. You know, anybody, yeah, anybody <laughs> who's flown Spirit, I unfortunately was subject to it about two months ago, knows that. It's a very bare-bones airline, and everything's a la carte. And, you know, you're not necessarily treated well on any airline these days. But but, um, my opinion is traveling on them leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, The tray table, for example, on my flight was barely big enough for my iPhone. So, you know, my tablet was out of the question. But, you know, that's just a matter of opinion. It's not like they've said, well, here's spirits. Um, this is how Spirit pulls this off. Um, and, you know, 
with Trump, it's different. It's you're right. He has the prerogative to right. release, a, you know, U.S. trade secrets. But you know, in my mind, not to editorialize, it's more a question of not can he, but should he? Right. That's the point. Yeah. I mean, no one's no one's trying to prosecute um, for that. But yes, um, we're yep. gonna, not yet, of course. Um, so we're going to take. Um, one more break and when we come back we'll be wrapping up and we'll learn more about what paul's up to and um we'll send you on your way and um so we'll be back after these messages you're listening to cyber law and business report only on cranberry.fm stay tuned for more of the cyber law and business report after this brief recess for our sponsors is your website hacked is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Online anytime. This is Cranberry Radio. Cranberry.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. And we're back, and I want to give a, a couple of shout-outs. Um, I will be, after the show, we'll be flying to Vegas where I'll be attending the Internet Law Leadership Summit with a bunch of my fellow Internet Law colleagues, and we're looking forward to that. And um, I'll be presenting on Tech and Trump on Friday, so but there's going to be a lot of other good presentations there, so I'm looking forward to seeing my colleagues. I want to give a shout-out to one of our guests. I'm sorry? Uh, I want to give a shout-out to one of our guests, um, Peter Cronway, who's appeared regularly on our um, Cyber Thanksgiving broadcast. He's actually doing the California Climate Ride, and it is a 324-mile ride from San Francisco to San Luis Obispo, and he's trying to raise money um, to help fight climate change. So um, there's a link if you want to support him and has information on that. Um, And one last thing, just to kind of highlight a show we did last year, actually two years ago, um, we had Rafael Fernandez de Castro, who is with um, Fusion Media, and we, he spoke about um, you know the reporters covering the Mexico drug cartels, and uh, I, I just we make reference to that in light of 
um, the tragic, you know, um, murder of uh, journalist Javier Valdez last week. And uh, so just to give you some perspective on some of the shows we've done in the past. But um, we're back here with Paul Menace. And um, so, Paul, what, what what is next for you? What do you, where, where are you presenting next? Um, I'm supposed to do a webinar on, in essence, best practices for C-suite level executives to make sure the deal they negotiate is the deal they actually get, um, which, again, is a function of something I advocate and advocate that contracts be written in plain English so that if there is anything from a reasonable disagreement to somebody trying to get dodgy and breach it or back out of it or disadvantage the other party, it can be read and it'll be hopefully crystal clear about how that particular situation is supposed to be handled. You know, a contract is the legal equivalent of Robert Frost's, you know, fences, good fences make good neighbors. Yes. Um, and, you know, I think of it, I think of contracts as collaborative, not adversarial. Yeah, I agree. So, I agree. You know, because at the end of the day, everybody's got to be on the same page so that they work together and the deal is successful as opposed to, you know, arguing from Jump Street about what it means or what rights and obligations people have. Uh, you know, Bennett, you mentioned something about you speaking about tech and Trump. Yes. Here's a potential horror story for you if you're... Uh, if you allow your trade secrets to be on social media. And I just remembered this because it happened, you know, not long ago where President Trump signed an executive order allowing, and I think we're the only industrialized country that does this, uh, ISPs to sell browser history of its users. Yeah, oh, no, he, Congress repealed, yes, Congress repealed um, the um, privacy laws of right, the, that, yeah, the, the FCC regs, yeah. So, um, that should scare the heck out of anybody, any company that has trade secrets, which is pretty much everybody, and incentivize them to make sure they keep control over how their information is, you know, disseminated over social media. Although, theoretically, uh, you know, this definitely undercuts um, those protections if they use common social media. Right, and and, and think about it. With, in the age of big data, I mean, I wonder if there's some market for getting business intelligence just by aggregating, um, you know, what data points are publicly available on your competitors. Um, probably. Um, you know, I big mean, data. No one's approached me about that, but, you know, and say, hey, you know, step in this alley. I have this <laughs> package for you. But, you know, I, I do think. It, 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 if we're not there, we're, we're not far off. No. Um, I mentioned I'd spoken about... Um, the virtual? Yeah. Virtual reality, legal reality. Virtual reality, augmented reality, legal reality, not really. And one of the things that seemed to get everybody's attention... I mean, everybody knows that those technologies suck up and process and store a tremendous amount of personal information. And one of the things I talked about was geolocation. I, I mean... That kind of that can show everything from where somebody lives to works, to their religious preferences, you know, their social sexual orientation, what their health is like. You know, did you visit an AIDS clinic? Right. Um, you know how fast they walk, their transportation mode of choice. Uh, that's very, very, very private information, uh, and some states have legislated that, but 
it's scary. I mean, that can read, just to take it a step further, that can lead to real-world crimes like trespass, burglary, right. robbery, sexual harassment. So um, it's a very legitimate concern. Uh, and, you know, as, as uh, data collection and technology continues to proceed at a light-speed pace, those are concerns. And um, Well, know, take it a step further, because we are talking about, yeah, I wouldn't say nascent, but definitely unperfected technology. And mm-hmm. you know, it may check you in someplace you're not. And, and Absolutely. That, 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 that you know, is embarrassing, you know. Or the location can be misidentified. Right. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know, it could be the house of a, you know, misidentified as the house of a sex offender. Maybe it was, you know, way back in the day. Um, you know, uh, I advocate opt-out procedures in, in that instance. Um, right. For certain things, and you know, say, tell people don't geolocate so much. But it's hard. I mean, millennials and younger people, this is hardwired into them. They don't think of those sorts of things. They just think of social. Right. Let me you know? tell my friends where I am. Yeah, it's you know, I'm an open book. Um, yeah, and also you know, there's benefits. You know, please check in at our location, and you'll get 40 points towards a donut. <laughs> now, well, I mean, let's touch on one thing though. Is we are talking about social media, and you know, one last issue is really making sure people on social media or your company on social media is aware of the FTC rules about, you know, not disclosing when you know, if you're making comments um, on behalf of a company that you're disclosing um, that you are you're a paid employee, that you're not you know, liking stuff uh, in, and not disclosing that role. Absolutely. It's it's just like curated content. Um, it's there are the SEC obviously has specific rules about um, what you can and can't do, and I, I represent a couple of influencers. And one of the genius things I saw in one of the contracts for um, a sponsor that they wanted the endorser, uh, the influencer to endorse, was uh, again a simple English two-page breakdown of not what the SEC laws say, but how the influencer has to comport themselves. On the video, at the beginning and the end, you have to say something like, blah, you know, exactly. uh, I'm paid to do this. Or, you know, I love this makeup that's been provided to me by this company for free, or whatever. But that can also, um, I think, apply and the th- to educating employees and contractors about it and right. it doesn't have to be i just thought this was genius um you know no, it's, my inf- we've actually had I mean, in our last internet law leadership summit we had a snapchat influencer and you know, he, he explained how he got in that disclosure in every in every uh what snap i guess whatever you call it yeah we only, have, we only have a minute or two left um why don't you tell people where they can find more about you where you are where you are on twitter and your website and um uh, well, my Twitter's hashtag Paul Menace. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on um, Instagram, I believe, although my media department takes care of that because I don't have a personal Instagram account. Uh, they can look me up on uh, my firm's website, which is www.adleylaw.com. And I write a regular blog. It's not weekly. It's not dogmatic. Called Just Saying. There's a link on um, 
We, we have a link uh, on the show notes. We also have a link right. up to the Twitter as well. Well, and I want to thank... Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, all I was going to say is the reason I advocate the blog, I think unlike a lot of people, is it's, I don't write about the law, I think, kind of dryly. I mean, the whole purpose of the blog, long story short, is to be practical, is to tell business people what they need to know about something that happened and how to um, put it into practice in in ways that are, you know, direct and kind of try to keep them out of trouble. Well, thank you. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to walk us through this important issue. Um, and again, um, this is Bennett Kelly. Um, be sure to check us out at the Internet Law Center and our blog um, at uh, ILC Cyber Report, which is um, one on LA Press Club for best uh, newsletter in in the Southern California area. And um, until then, next week, we're going to be talking about Trump and trade, which should be an interesting issue. Um, we'll have uh, people going over that. And then afterwards, we'll be um, talking about Uber and the controversy surrounding them with our good friends, Dan Tynan and Brenda Kitchison. So check out our show notes as usual. Say hi to us on Twitter at Sapelot Radio. Have a great week. See everyone in Vegas. Take care. And thanks for having me, Bennett. Thank you. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.